welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 39. First off, Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm chilling like a villain, man. I, it's about all I got for you. It's been a it's been an interesting week. I haven't been able to go really do anything physical for a couple of weeks just because I'm trying to let this shoulder shoulder heal. So yeah, how's the rehab been, going? We're almost there. I I uh, we there was a birthday party that because <laughs> the company the company I, I wrestle for also does like birthday parties, which is kind of cool. Like a kid legitimately looked at his parents and said, "I want to have a wrestling show for my birthday." Like that's that that's awesome. I mean, first of all, it's expensive, but um, that's not my problem. Um, but I, after the sh- my point is after the show, yeah, you get paid in handshakes and hot dogs. Uh, um, no, we do not. Thank goodness. Um, uh, but I, after the show, I went and got, got some rolls and hit the ropes a little bit and it felt really, really good. So the big test is going to be, um, tomorrow I'll actually have the gas to get out there and I'm going to, I'm going to take a bump and see how it feels and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Well, hopefully you don't re-injure anything. Yeah, same. Well, it has been a rather slow news week, unfortunately. Uh, we're trying to grasp as much news topics as we possibly could, but there really was not too much. So I'm actually going to change things up a little bit and talk about something I saw over the weekend, as well as some news that I heard about the topic uh, earlier today. So I posted on Facebook over the weekend that my wife Heather and I saw the new Men in Black International. Yeah, um, I was going to talk to you about this. It was a movie. So for those of you who have been with the podcast for a while, um, go back and do some homework. I'm not going to spoil it for you here. But I made a prediction a long time ago about some big, quote-unquote, plot twist. I hate that I was right for this plot twist because it's so predictable. If you follow the show, you know what I'm talking about. It happened. Um, So this movie, it is so... I've forgotten almost all of it already. It is, it's not a Crimes of Grindelwald type bad of I come away just screaming at high heaven of how awful this movie is or like a fallen kingdom, nor is it good either. It's, it's, it is bad, but not a frustratingly bad. It's just, I've never gotten so close to falling asleep during a movie. It was so bland and same of all the men in blacks we've seen before. And Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson are trying their absolute best in the role. Like, they're they're giving as much as they can, but the writing is so bad for it. And it wasn't just me that felt this way of going into the movie. Our theater was pretty hyped up. Like, there were some people that were super excited. They were, like, reacting to every trailer beforehand. So they were amped for this movie. No one reacted to anything in this movie. Not a laugh. May- there was maybe one laugh. There wasn't any, like, fantastic action scenes of, oh, wow. It was just so bland and forgettable. And so I was listening to, I reference him a lot on the show, but um, the John Campus show on YouTube, he was talking about today that there's a report that came out from the Hollywood Reporter that this movie, shock of all shocks, was an absolute mess behind the scenes. And it absolutely shows to the point that um, the producer and the director were more or less butting heads, and there's two different cuts of this movie, and the cut that we got in theaters is the producer's cut, who was the producer of the original Men in Black and wanted more of a traditional sense of the Men in Black, 
Whereas F. Gary Gray, the director of the movie, wanted to go in more of a modern aspect and bring a lot more modern touches and themes to the movie. Um, that was just the beginning of the issues. Apparently, it, the script and the story got so bad that Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson brought in their own script writers to write their own dialogue for them to try and make it at least a little bit better. Jeez. Like, this movie apparently was a real bad mess behind the scenes, and it showed this movie was so... Ah, it's it's not even worth getting angry about. It was just so forgettable of, at least with the other Men in Blacks, like two and three, they weren't great, but I remembered some stuff. The second one is... Okay, maybe I don't remember stuff about the second one. The third one's with Josh Brolin and time travel and stuff. This one, I don't think I'll remember other than it's the one with Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. And clearly no one else cared about this movie because it didn't even make $30 million opening weekend. Jeez. So yeah, I don't know if I can recommend men in black. I'll say if you like the franchise, like if you were a diehard men in black fan, I'd say at least give this one a shot. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's not really that bad of a movie, but it's the most cookie cutter bland straightforward, predictable movie that you can get. You will see absolutely every twist coming. The one that I predicted for months beforehand, there's another quote-unquote twist that I just leaned over to Heather in the theater. I'm like, I bet this is the reason why that's happening. And sure enough, I just looked at her in the theater and just gave her the big old eye roll of, really? Don't make it this predictable for me, please. It's... Yeah. I wanted it to be better. It. I don't know if it cracks my top three most disappointing movies of the year so far. Man, it's been a bad year, I guess, for movies if I already have a handful of disappointments. It's not that bad, but I am a little disappointed. But then again, maybe I shouldn't have gotten my hopes up for a Men in Black sequel. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's disappointing to say the least, but I mean, at least we know, you know, Chris Hemsworth and, um, oh, goodness, what's Tessa her Thompson. name? Every Tessa, time yeah. I forget her name. I don't know why. I just like... And it's really unfortunate because I really enjoy him as a person. Uh, I enjoy her as an actor. Um, but, you know, it's unfortunate to say the least. But it is what it is. Yeah, they were trying point. their best. But n- not even like – I don't even think Will Smith himself, if he was in the movie, could have saved it. Like old school Will Smith. Not even the most charismatic people in the world could have saved this movie. It was just not what it could have been. Well, that's my brief thoughts on Men in Black um, because we have a slow news week. But for the actual news, there was something that dropped uh, maybe a day or two after our last podcast, and I was super ecstatic as soon as it dropped because I've been waiting for it for a very long time, and I was kind of getting a little nervous, actually, because we hadn't gotten it. So one movie that seems to be going under a lot of people's radar is Doctor Sleep. So Doctor Sleep is an upcoming Stephen King movie by Mike Flanagan. Everyone seems to be focused on It Chapter 2, naturally, because the first It made a lot of money, and It is more um, mainstream. It, a lot of people know the story because they grew up with the um, the mini-sode, um, and people like the first one. I, however, have more had an eye on Doctor Sleep. So what Doctor Sleep is, is... Everyone knows the original Shining. This is a sequel to The Shining with Danny, now going by Dan as an adult, more or less um, teaching this young girl who also has The Shining, who has the same abilities as Danny in the original Shining. So I've been keeping a very close eye on this movie for a long time because the director of the film is Mike Flanagan, who is my 
favorite horror director. He did Oculus, Hush, The Haunting of Hill House, Before I Wake, um, Ouija, Origin of Evil. He's a really great horror director, just a great director in general. And then adult Danny is going to be played by Ewan McGregor, one of my all-time favorite actors. So the trailer finally drops, and I got to say, as someone that isn't a huge fan of the original Shining, I'm immediately hooked. So, I won't lie to you. I have not seen The Shining. Mostly because I've heard it's very overrated, so I've just never felt the need to really devote any time to it. Um, watching this trailer, I feel like I need to watch The Shining because I feel like I'm I'm lost on some things. What are you lost on? See if there's anything I can clear up. Well, I mean, because I just you've in general just saying you know Danny has these powers or whatever for in the in the first movie. I don't remember like in any of the little like highlight videos or whatever you want to call them about the shining that I've watched. I don't think that's mentioned anywhere. So I'm, I'm super confused as to what's going on. It's probably Um, because in most of the highlight packages for the shining, they focus on Jack Nicholson and the whole here's Johnny, which there's a reference to that actually at the end of the trailer when Danny sticks his head in the, yeah, I didn't see opening. So, so, I'm trying to get caught up. I'm actually listening to the audiobook of Dr. Sleep, so I'm prepared going into the movie. Um, so far, I really like the trailer. It has Mike Flanagan's fingerprints all over this thing. Like, even if you didn't tell me it was a Mike Flanagan movie, I would look at it and go, yeah, that's that's Mike Flanagan. Just his very distinct cinematography, his lighting, um, yeah. just the aesthetics. I had heard an argument, and I'll be very curious to see how it plays out in the movie. They'll be recreating scenes from the original Shining. They're not going to use any of the footage from the original movie except for um, when the elevator doors open and the blood comes out. Uh, Everything else is actually recreation, not using footage from the original. Um, How Stanley Kubrick's style in the original Shining is going to clash with Mike Flanagan. So it'll be very interesting to see that. There's talk that uh, Jacob Tremblay, who was in the movie Room, he was the kid in Before I Wake... Uh, there's talk that he will be uh, young Danny in like flashback sequences, which I'm going, oh, yes, please. Um, It'll be in so like, but with all that said and with how confused I am, um, the trailer looks great. Like, I don't it was one of those like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm super down for it. Oh, yeah. Um, it looks creepy and atmospheric i can already tell that this will not be a scare minute type movie nor should it because the shining wasn't that either the shining was very slow burn horror so i think this will also be that which is a good thing that's what mike flanagan excels at the most none of his movies are scare minute movies but when he does scare you you're absolutely terrified i'm still trying to recover from a jump scare that happened in the haunting of hill house that was ah um but I think they do a good job of getting people like you who aren't as familiar with The Shining that may have seen it once or twice or know some of it of getting you interested as it, in it as just a horror movie straight up. Uh, I will be curious to see. I know there's significant differences between The Shining, the movie, and The Shining, the book. Like Stanley, yes. um, Stephen King hates the movie. That's why he did his own mini-series TV version of The Shining, which was pretty bad. But um, I'll be curious to see what this adopts in terms of the original movie or what it keeps from the book. 
of what it's going to pick and choose from and how it's going to adapt. Like I said, I'm reading the book right now via audiobook to try and uh, get caught up because I I don't know anything about this story, unlike some other Stephen King ones that I'm a little bit more familiar with. Um, yeah. Given that this is the first Stephen King that I'm reading, holy crap, this dude's books are way too long. Yeah. That's, like he's going into detail about things I don't really care about that I know aren't going to impact the story at all. Um, yeah. But it's cool to get some references to The Shining. I'll be curious. Just I'll I'll come back in a couple of weeks once I'm done with it to kind of reevaluate this trailer. Be like, okay, now I know what this means. Like, there's some shots in the trailer. Like, I kind of get like the villains are the true not this kind of like cult group. Um, the girl that he's going to be talking to. I get some of the things, but again, I don't fully know it just because I'm not all the way through the book yet. That being said, yeah. I will watch anything Mike Flanagan does. So this is the top of my priority list. I know I'm in the minority, but I'm more curious about this than I am about It Chapter 2. That's more of I'm a fan of Mike Flanagan, and I don't think the second half of It is as strong as the first half, like when they're adults. That being said, I'm excited for both of them, and I quite enjoy the Stephen King renaissance that we're in the middle of. I agree. Um, Speaking of things that I'm not really familiar with, um, Blumhouse is going to be remaking Black Christmas. Yeah, so time for a history lesson with Nathan, actually. So I mean that's that's gonna be a lot of today. <laughs> Which I'm a, I'm okay with that. Uh I yeah, like yeah, history. Yeah. So Black Christmas is more or less the underrated slasher of the horror genre that no one really talks about, but should. So a lot of times people credit Halloween as the first slasher movie, 1978's John Carpenter's Halloween, my all-time favorite horror movie always will be. That's not necessarily the whole story. Black Christmas came out in 19, I think, 75 or 76, somewhere around there, and more or less is the first slasher. So it was the first to really have strong sexual themes with uh, college sorority girls, which more or less kind of be the standard of, like, slash the teenage girls, uh, very violent, very sexual in nature. That was Black Christmas year a couple of years before Halloween, but it was not a critical darling like Halloween was. So that's kind of why it's not as well remembered. Now there was a remake a few years ago um with Michelle Trachtenberg, um that uh Laurel Lance from Arrow, I think like 2009 or 2010. It was after the Friday the 13th remake. So it's interesting that it's getting remake of a remake. Um but yeah this is a very famous in horror circles, at least, a very famous slasher that was more or less started everything. That being said, I'm more interested in it because it's Blumhouse than it is Black Christmas. Now, yes. before I get your, uh, after I get your thoughts, there's a rumor going around, but it is so out of left field. But I'll, I'll bring that up in a second. So when you hear Blumhouse are doing another slash, a remake of a classic slasher, what is your immediate go through? go-to thought, even though you're not super familiar with Black Christmas? I mean, absolutely, because I'm super down because of Blumhouse. It's like, like I think the thing you and I have said a lot these past couple weeks is it, it's, it's Blumhouse. Like, how, how can you not be excited? Like, almost everything they've put out is Almost. Been, I, that's why I say almost. Almost everything that they One have put out is One of their movies this year is either, top of my um, disappointments list, but we'll talk about that later in the year for our end-of-year yeah, wrap-up. Yeah. But like almost everything they put out is either it's 
never above mediocre. Sorry, it's never below mediocre. I don't think, as far as I'm aware, they haven't put out anything that's absolutely tr- terrible. Ah, uh, mm. at least we, well, let me, we let can me talk about that, that another time. Uh, at but least yeah, in, the, in the last ten years. Typically, Blumhouse is something to get excited about. At now, least, especially in these past couple of years. Oh, absolutely! Especially how they handled Halloween. I think Black Christmas is one that could use it. Halloween, when Blumhouse remade it absolutely needed the franchise CPR that Blumhouse gave them. Uh, Black Christmas, to my knowledge, was never a huge franchise. I think it was just the first one. Um, But it's one that's not really remembered except for horror circles. So um, I think this is long overdue for a remake. I think it's a great choice. Now, the tinfoil hat that... Gave me a slight bit of hope, but at the same time, I'm just like, I'm a realist. I'm like, that ain't gonna happen. Is some people were suggesting that this is just a placeholder. Also, um, it's good to note that Black Christmas is coming out this year. Like, December 13th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This year. Blumhouse announced this a couple days ago, and it's also coming out this year, which means it's been in the can, or at least filming, for a while now. Now... Here's the tinfoil hat theory that I'm just like, it's so unbelievable. That being said, don't give me hope. Some fans are speculating, and again, this is speculation that there's only like a 2% chance of this actually happening, but I think it's worth noting. Um, Some people are like, this is, Black Christmas is just a placeholder. It's not actually a Black Christmas movie. It's a secret Friday the 13th movie, because it's coming out on Friday the 13th, to which I'm just going... That would be nice, but legally we can't do that right now still. We'll see. Maybe, and then again, we'd never know everything, so. No, we, we legally can't. The ongoing war between um, Jason um, uh, Cunningham and the original screenwriter for the first Friday the 13th is still ongoing. They just appealed it. I follow this story really closely. It's still going on. Legally, nothing with Friday the 13th can happen until this thing gets blown over. So even if they're like in pre-production, you you can't do that legally. So by the time this thing goes through, which may not even be done this year, at the earliest, the speculation is next year. Uh, So by the time that gets done, we may not have a Friday the 13th movie until like 2021, 2022. Um, So I don't think this is a Friday the 13th one. However, it would be really cool if this was a secret something. I like what surprise reveals. Like, that's why I put this on for a news topic today. Not because I'm super familiar with Black Christmas, but I thought it was so cool that Blumhouse is like, hey, guys, you don't have to wait long for our next horror movie. It's coming out in December of this year. Yeah. And Blumhouse is, has been a name in horror that we, we've become to trust. Yeah, a name that we don't necessarily always trust when it comes to horror is Miramax. They're kind of up and down at times. Miramax is most known for their Scream films. They distributed all for the Scream films, which I really enjoy, almost all of them. Um, They also, I believe, own some stake in the Halloween franchise. I don't know if it's 100% because last time they had something with Dimension, I believe, or Dimension sold at the Blumhouse. Miramax somehow is involved with both the Scream and the Halloween franchise. We bring this up because Miramax is up for sale. So where this leaves Halloween and Scream is anybody's guess. Blumhouse was able to make a Halloween movie. Um, 
maybe Blumhouse is in the business of buying these franchises, which would be smart. I know Jason Blum has talked extensively about um, rebooting both Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer franchises, which I think both are long overdue for a reboot. Um, If Miramax goes up for sale, which I believe it is, do you see Blumhouse swooping in and trying to buy these rights? If not Blumhouse, who could you see doing it? Right now, all I see is is Blumhouse because I think Fox might be too busy with the whole Marvel and whatnot stuff that's going on. Uh, and Sony doesn't come across to me as something that so a company that would be interesting in that interested in having those kinds of properties. Right now, I think Blumhouse. Yeah, I don't know if Sony cares about horror. Exactly. So, like, like in you know, Fox doesn't really either. So I feel like Blumhouse would be the only company to come and get them at this, at this, at this point, you know, with, without me doing some extensive research, I would think Blumhouse, maybe not Blumhouse. The only thing that would make me think that is Blumhouse is very successful. We know this doesn't mean they're necessarily a big name just because we know them. You got to think, they may not be as big of a high roller when it comes to financials as like a Warner Brothers. Yes, they make lots of money, but they make maybe, if they're lucky, 100 to 200 million per movie off 10 to 20 million dollar budgets. Um, Fair enough. That's still not, that's a very good gain, but that's not a lot of necessarily money in the bank to make these big acquisitions for names like Halloween Fair or enough. Scream, which but can then be again, like how expensive. much, how, how much could Miramax actually be worth? Because they haven't really done anything late in the past several years. True. But even companies that haven't done anything in a while could go for a lot of money that may be out of Blumhouse's reach. Now, maybe universal could swoop in. I could, okay. Yeah. I could see that. Cause universal already works with Blumhouse. Universal just handed Blumhouse their, classic uh monsters so they're on good terms maybe that that was one of the companies i i didn't think about um is paramount still around yes but they're they're another one like blumhouse that kind of more or less works with some other bigger companies i think because they're not what they used to be yeah i'm trying to think because of what companies there are these days i mean maybe what is it, Lionsgate? Oh, no. Lionsgate is in a very bad financial situation. That's what I thought. That's what so I was So bad, thinking. in fact, that um, just a side honorable mention news topic, they're doing another Hunger Games, except a prequel to how we get to the state that we got in Hunger Games. So they're doing what The Purge did, only probably not as going to be as successful. Yeah, because Lionsgate, like I said, desperately needs a franchise ever since yeah. both Twilight and Hunger Games ended, which say what you want about those movies, they made the studio a lot of money. Yeah, so that's what I was saying. So really, like right now, if not Blumhouse, then Universal. Yeah. Um, so segueing us now into some comic book news, uh, Todd Phillips, who is the director of the upcoming Joker standalone movie, has taken to the internet to confirm that the Joker standalone movie will be an R rating. Now, this is something we've speculated for a long time, but I don't think we ever had official confirmation from anybody attached to the project. Now we do. Josh and I always say that a movie, we don't think a movie has to be rated R, except for maybe a Mortal Kombat movie. Um, Yes. 
This one, I kind of do think it should be R, so I kind of breathe a sigh of relief knowing that this is an R-rated movie because the Joker is an R-rated character, and if you're just doing Joker, you kind of have to have free reign for this. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Especially if you're doing the story of his descent into madness, um, you absolutely have to be able to tell every aspect of the story so that we not only like understand and maybe emotionally feel his descent, but also become extremely terrified of this man. This should not be, this should never be as much as I love Heath Ledger. This should never be a moment where we, we are excited for him to be on screen. Not because of, not because we love his performance, but because, Oh no, like stuff is about to go down and I don't, I don't, I'm not ready for what we're about to see. Yeah, that's something I kind of have an issue with the modern like Joker and especially the modern Harley Quinn of people like kind of glorifying the characters being like, oh, Joker's so cool. No, Joker's a villain. You shouldn't really be on Joker's side or especially the one that gets under my grill a lot is people are like, Joker and Harley are the relationship goals. I'm like, if you read a single story, he is just awful to her and it is not the thing you want any part of in a relationship. With exactly, and you me. know what? Maybe they they maybe they'll show that in this story, but in order to really, I don't think really Harley show it, I don't think they will either. But maybe they'll allude to it. Who knows? But um, you know, again, we have no clue if this will end up being an Elseworld story or not. They've they're re- ever since they announced that they've kind of been pretty tight lipped about it. Um, but I do agree. I think this Joker is a standalone Joker movie is something that needs to be R because there is going to be some lengths that you need to take the story in order to go. Just so that when, when, and if this Joker shows up in Batman, we're actually scared of him. Exactly. Uh, Now switching from DC to Marvel, ironically last week, uh, no, not last week, uh, two weeks ago, when we were casting the Batman movie, I mentioned the name Ludie Lynn. Well, now I'm mad because he may be off the table to play Dick Grayson slash Nightwing. So Ludie Lynn was the Black Ranger in the most recent Power Rangers movie. He was um, an assistant to King Orm in Aquaman. He was my pick for Dick Grayson slash Nightwing. Now he and Donnie Yen, your boy Donnie Yen, are both my in talks to be in Marvel's Shang-Chi uh, movie that apparently is going into production later this year. Now, Shang-Chi is like a master martial artist. Doesn't have any special powers like Iron Fist or anything, but he's just the best martial artist in the world. I'll be honest, adding these two names makes me immediately interested. I like Ludi Lin a lot. And Donnie Yen is Donnie Yen, man. As someone that didn't really care for Shang-Chi or knows that much about him, you add these two names and I'm immediately interested. I'll be honest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ludi was fantastic in, in uh, the Power Rangers movies. He's a lot of fun to watch. And like you just said, like Donnie Yen's Donnie Yen, man. Like watching him in the Triple X uh, sequel that came out, I want to say a couple years ago, um, he's incredibly fun to watch. He's even given um, the language barrier that is that is definitely there, um, he's extremely charismatic. Oh yeah, just and his ability to choreograph fights is just incredible. Like 
And oh, side note, yeah. he at by the time Shang Chi eventually does come out, he will already have a history with working for Disney, as he's also going to be in the live action Mulan movie too. Yep, he's dude. I tell you what, if you would have told me five years ago when I was watching the Ip Man movies that Donnie Yen was going to be one of the names in Hollywood in five years from then, oh, I would have laughed at you. Donnie Yen has come so far. Oh, absolutely, which is amazing considering he's not an old actor, but he's not the prime age for a martial artist in a movie. No, yeah. He's a little bit older, which is nice. You know what's really cool, too, and this is just because I'm a nerd and I find out things about actors that I like. Um, Like younger Donnie Yen back in the day uh, in China had a reputation for bar fighting. And because he's he's in all of these martial arts movies, and so people would see him and be like, "Oh, it's all it's all fake," you know. He doesn't actually know how to fight, and would challenge him in bars to fight, and he would kick all of them in the head. Like that the sounds, dude, like that le- sounds about legit right. knows his stuff, and so I just I'm always down when Donnie Yen's on screen. So with them taking more um, Asian actors for Shang Chi, which is a great movie, it's what they did for Mulan as well. Um, are there any other Asian actors that you can think of off the top of your head that you would like to see added to Shang-Chi besides Jackie Chan, obviously? Uh, um, you know, we haven't seen Jet Li in a while. We have not. I'm trying to remember if he was added to Mulan. I, yeah. I, I, Jackie I know, Chan wasn't, which I'm mad about. Time. I'm trying to remember the last time I saw him outside of Forbidden Kingdom. Um, uh, Expendables 3. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. But even that was like three or four years ago. Yeah, he was blinking, missing in all the Expendables movies. Yeah. So outside of that, yeah, we haven't really seen him a lot since then. So I, I would Lee's love good to pick. see Jet. Um, I go Ken Watanabe. Yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, he's not he, – he's technically from uh, Thailand, uh, but I'm always a fan of Tony Jaa if they bring Tony Jaa on board. Although I think he's busy with the uh, Monster Hunter movie right now, um, mm. I just saw I just saw a story about him about that recently, and I forgot to look it up. But yeah, anyway, off the um, top of my head, I never saw the movie, but the main guy from the movie Crazy Rich Asians. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He already kind of looks like Shang Chi. Yeah, I'd be down. But I, I think mean, that I, given Ludi Lin the role, maybe, if he is actually cast. Again, this is just speculation at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could see Ludi Lin being Shang-Chi. I'm, I'd, honestly, I'd be, if he's not, I'd be down for them to making him um, Donnie or uh, the Iron Fist. We already have an, we quote-unquote have an Iron Fist. No, no, we don't. We don't have an Iron Fist. The shows are canceled. They don't exist anymore. Yeah, that's true. Which actually, I would be more okay with an Asian actor playing um, Iron Fist. I think that would be yeah, a good update to the character. Te- te- technically, yeah, and that was always my thing. Is technically speaking, he doesn't have to down. Uh, uh, Iron Fist doesn't have to be Asian because he's like he's not in know, the comics. Danny exactly. Rand. Yeah, Danny. He, he can't. He doesn't have to be Asian. Everyone. And it's kind of hilarious because everybody was like, "No, like he's a martial artist; he's got to be Asian." Like, first of all, that's kind of racist. Second of no. all, that's not the that's not the story. Anyway, I do agree though. It's like Doctor Strange; that- he learned his mystical arts in, uh, uh where Nepal. was it? In Doctor Strange, he's a Caucasian guy. You don't have to be yeah. Asian to be a martial artist. 
Yes, I agree. So, you can but just the be a guy that seeks out the training. Yeah, I think I think though the point is actually nowadays I feel that it w- it's imperative for somebody like Iron Fist or even Shang Chi to absolutely be Asian. I'm no Shang Chi is going to be Asian, but I think Iron. If we get a, a, a you know a Marvel Cinematic Universe Iron Fist, I absolutely think he needs to be Asian. But that's a little side dialogue for something that's not necessarily related to what we're talking about. Yeah, again, this is all speculation. These guys haven't been officially cast yet or anything. But um, this is light speculation. Heavy speculation is something other department in Marvel uh, right now. So two days ago, well, three days ago by the time this podcast comes out, um... A teaser picture was released on Twitter from Marvel, the comic division of Marvel. This is very important to note. Um, a spider web, clearly from Spider-Man, in the shape of a four. And this mm. got the whole internet going, oh, wait, wait, what? Fantastic Four and Far From Home confirmed? Um, first of all, guys, it's from the Marvel Comics division, so it's going to be a comics-related announcement. I'm sure we'll cover it next week. Um, but yeah, then the day after it, it was the same picture except with a three in the spider web. So it's not something to deal with a four necessarily. I'll get to it in a second, but it's clearly counting down something as the day that we're recording this, it had a two. So whatever the announcement's going to be, it's going to come out on Thursday. Um, now there's another big piece of the puzzle that I saw somewhere else on my Twitter feed. Um, Comic book artist Alex Ross, who is known for his super uh, realistic comic portrayals. Uh, He did the artwork for Kingdom Come, which is a great story arc. But also, he has a history with Spider-Man. Josh, do you remember the original Spider-Man trilogy with Tobey Maguire? At the beginning, they would always do the flashback scenes. Yeah. He was responsible for the artwork for that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So he does, like, hyper-realistic paintings that are gorgeous. He... The day that this uh, four picture teased came out, um, he posted his own picture of a painting that he had done of a scene from the first Spider-Man of Spider-Man swinging with Mary Jane in New York with the hashtag Spider-Man 4. So now there is some speculation out there that Marvel will be releasing a comic book storyline of Spider-Man 4 of what the story would have been. I actually think this is a really cool idea. I, it, uh, I'm assuming, I'm assuming then that they're, they're, they're basically not making any changes, not trying to retcon anything from the third one. They're taking it as it is and going forward, forward with it. Yes. Now, okay. to be clear, there was plans for a Spider-Man four before, yes. um, Sam Raimi backed out there. There's some conflicting reports about when the reboot was planned, but there was plans for Spider-Man 4. It would have been John Malkovich as the Vulture and Anne Hathaway as Black Cat. Um, It would have been a very interesting story. Uh, I think somewhere that Dr. Kirk Connors, who was in all the Spider-Man movies already, the fourth one was going to be where he turned and turned into the Lizard. So how much they may use for this story, I'm not sure. Or if they make a completely new story... I think it'd just be cool to have this separate comics-only storyline that doesn't impact their current Marvel, but it appeases the fans of the original Spider-Man trilogy by giving them something 
different. It's it's a type of story we don't see too often. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, it could be interesting to say the least. I mean, at least then I won't have to sit through Tobey Maguire's acting. True, which is something we may be approaching next week. I'll I'll talk to you about that a little later. Um, now, but this this to me actually. I hate to do the Marvel DC comparison. It kind of feels like Smallville season 11, the comic arc that they did with that. Yeah. Of like, here's what happens after it ends. Yeah. But then again, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, nothing's confirmed right now. So yeah, this I'm, is all just our speculation, myself, speculation on our part. This could be something completely different. That being said, expect some form of a Spider-Man announcement on Thursday. And, we will come back to it next week uh, when we have a Spider-Man-centric themed episode, uh, and we'll cover this. Now, before we go on to our last news topic, sticking on the topic of Spider-Man real quick, uh, Josh, have you seen the new look Zendaya is sporting for the press tour for Far From Home? I have not. Uh, I don't know if it was earlier today or yesterday. She came out with Tom Holland and everybody else for a press tour for the new Spider-Man. Sporting some new red hair. Really? So whether it's something that actually shows up in the movie or just a nice homage to the MJ character from the comics. And I'm not going to lie, seeing how she pulled out the red hair, I was like, all right, you kind of look a little more like Mary Jane now. Yeah, after this look up um, Zendaya's red hair, I was like, you look a little bit more like MJ now. I kind of like it. That being said, I love her character in the Spider-Man movies. I don't like that she's Mary Jane because she's such a radically different character. Um, I like her character a lot. Just I don't like that she was revealed to be Mary Jane. But the yeah. red hair kind of helps a little bit, making it yeah. feel a little bit more like the classic character. Uh, the, the big thing is, and I think, <laughs> I feel like she would have been a better Gwen Stacy. Yes. My thing is, the main reason why I like her character, but I don't like her as MJ, is in all the comic representations of MJ, she's outgoing. She's an extrovert. She like is the life of the party. And she is responsible for Peter kind of getting out of his comfort zone and becoming more comfortable talking with people and just kind of... Being less of an introvert, she helps get that out of him. So her being an introvert mm, doesn't really work. But I like her as a character, what she brings to the table. Just name her something different. Yeah, I agree. But then again, you know what? Uh, I, the other thing was in my brain was when we saw her, before we learned her name, I thought she was Gwen Stacy. And then I started, you know, comic you know my brain was going and like having her that went all the way you know, planning a story for like uh the multiverse and then i had zendaya in a uh, like a spider gwen costume in my head and i was just like that would work on so many levels and but yeah so now that's all that i can flush that down the drain but whatever um, which actually now that i think about it um the spider verse has actually done a very good job of subtly introducing some of peter parker's previous love interest minus gwen stacy and I think that's just because we just saw her with Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, we had yes. uh, Spider-Man's first love interest in the comics with Liz Allen being in Far From Home. You got MJ in all of them so far. But also in the background, we had Betty Brant as the news reporter at the school who was Peter's on-again, off-again girlfriend at the Daily Bugle. Yep. We'll see what happens, man. I mean, 
Far From Home will be very telling as far as what direction they're going to take this next phase of Marvel. Exactly, and the character of Spider-Man. I'm super excited for it. Um, It's just Spider-Man. I'll always get excited for that one, but especially for this Spider-Man movie, I'm excited to see the directions that we go. Now, for our last news story of the day, it's one that Josh and I aren't super familiar with, but it's noteworthy nonetheless. And that is, we have our first official images from the new West Side Story remake. Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, nonetheless. I feel like this movie has been in development forever. Spielberg has been saying, oh yeah, I've been working on a West Side Story. It's coming out December this year, I believe. Um, Now we have our first official image with Ansel Elgort as uh, the male lead with uh, the sharks and the jets on either side. It's kind of a cool look. I'm glad that they're sticking in the original um, setting. I didn't know necessarily if they're going to update it to be like, hey, here's the 2019 version of the West Side Story with the Bloods and the Crips. Um, but it seems to be set in the original like timeline. and ter- time, Yeah, timeline. And the original time frame, like you can tell just by the clothing and how the characters look, which I'm much more okay with that. That being said, not super familiar with West Side Story. It is actually one of Heather's favorite movies. It's one of her favorite, if not her favorite musical. So I'm sure we both will be seeing this movie. I (laughs) actually have not seen the original. We will both be seeing it. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure both of us will be seeing it. But I know nothing about the original, actually. Um, I know bits and pieces, but not really enough to know what the, the whole story is about. So, I mean... I mean, don't get me wrong. It looks cool. Um, it looks, yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I'm always okay I'm not really familiar with a well-done so. musical. I'm very, very, very picky about musicals. I know that. Uh, I know you did not like The Greatest Showman, but I like the musical aspects of it incredibly well, like the set pieces, the musical numbers. So if we can kind of bring that quality to uh, West Side Story, I think that'd be a great thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That being said, I'm much more interested in West Side Story than the new Cats movie. Uh, so anyway, let's. Uh, do you got a sponsor for today? <laughs> um, yeah, I'll go with, in honor of Spider-Man Far From Home being right around the corner, I have been desperately trying to find me some Dr. Pepper Darkberry, which is a special flavor that they're introducing for just the Spider-Man movie. I've had it like once when I found a 12-pack. Haven't been able to find it since, but it's fantastic. It's like if you take the blueberry filling out of a blueberry Pop-Tart and made that into a soda and then dipped it in cotton candy. It's super sweet, but it's amazing. So this episode is sponsored by Dr. Pe- Dr. Pepper Darkberry, if you can somehow find it. <laughs> it's like that, uh, do you remember that summer that Baja Blast came out in the cans for the first time? Yes, and no one could it- find it. Yeah, no one could find it because people were buying it up by the box. It's because Baja's great. It really is. Although it doesn't taste as good when it's not accompanied by a taco. I mean, I could fight that, but yes. <laughs> Everything's better with tacos, including well, movie trilogies. Especially movie trilogies. So why are we talking movie trilogies today? Uh, in honor of Toy Story 4, which we still firmly believe should have stopped Toy Story 3 as it would have been one of the best animated trilogies of all time, we're getting another one of those. So we're debating, do we want to do something Pixar? 
nah, let's do a trilogy. Because up until this point, Toy Story 3 was a great trilogy. But we're hearing very, very good things about Toy Story 4. So I guess the franchise can continue if it so desires. Yes. I mean, it's going to regardless of our opinion, so. No. Our two individuals' opinions clearly can change the direction of Pixar. Well, obviously. (laughs) But yes. So However, I think the big the big thing for us was trying to figure out what what actually constitutes as a trilogy. Yes, we had to add some stipulations on here, um, which we both struggled with quite a bit, but we yeah. wanted to limit ourselves. So our criteria for this is they actually have to be a trilogy. It can't be anything that has subsequent follow-up films with a few caveats. Uh, we yes. have, obviously, the original Star Wars. That's because the original Star Wars trilogy is its own self-contained trilogy. It has three separate trilogies all its own. Plus, you can't talk about greatest trilogies and not have Star Wars. However, exactly. we're not including Toy Story or Indiana Jones because they had later installments within that same universe. Toy Story 4 has come yes. out. Indiana Jones continues to go on for some reason. Um, so the movies on this list have to have just three movies, even if they're the best things in the world, they can't be included on this list. If there's more than three installments again, Star Wars is only on here because that original trilogy was just intended to be a trilogy. Yeah. And then I think, didn't we decide also that it has to have a continuous story built throughout all three films? Yes, it can be. Um, a different, it can have different incarnations later, and we'll explain when we get to those specific ones, but it has to be self-contained original trilogy. Um, yes. I want, I'll go into a special one of the caveats that we have of Josh has Mad Max on his list, but yes. we only have the original three because I make the argument that the Tom Hardy ones are a different timeline. It's a different Max, at least to me. Yeah, well, and even then, like, even if we had this conversation a few years ago, Fury Road wouldn't have happened. And besides, Mad Max isn't exactly the sole focus of that movie either. No, it's more of a Furiosa movie. It really is. And actually, I don't know if I've said, said, talked to you about it yet, but I randomly stumbled across the director's cut of Fury Road uh, a few months ago. I don't know if I remember I told you this or not, but like there's a, like an added 45 minutes, something like that. But it's all 45 minutes of more Max, especially huh. later on in the film. So it actually balances out a lot better. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I really enjoy Mad Max. The first time I tried to watch it, maybe I was just tired or something. I almost fell asleep in the first couple of minutes. And rewatching it, I must have just been tired because I love Fury Road. But we wouldn't have Fury Road without that original Mel Gibson trilogy, which that's a role Mel Gibson was born to play because he's a little, well, not a little bit. He's very psychotic. He is. But even like, I think... The thing I like most about this the original trilogy is that you see a. It's very obvious that they get more money as the movies go along. Um, yes, to make the movies, but it's also very obvious that you can see like 
the world that they live in descend more and more and more into madness. Because, like, in, in the first Mad Max, like, things are kind of, like, crazy, but not too crazy. Whereas in by the time you get to Thunderdome, ooh, <laughs> things are just absolute nuts. So how would you rank the original trilogies? Um, I definitely think Thunderdome is the best. Really? Yes. I, I personally, I think, uh, honestly, I think I'd rank them in reverse order. It would be Thunderdome, Road Warrior, then Mad, Mad Max. See, I would go um, Road Warrior, number one, and then Thunderdome. Really? Okay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, they're all I great, they, but... All th- yeah, all three are that. And that's that, that's the thing I think that makes a good trilogy as well is not at, like you can put certain ones above the other, but but you can't omit any of them. Yes. Um, case in point, we talked about it earlier briefly, but Star Wars. There's not a single exactly. one that you can talk about without talking about the others. As I get older, I see more and more people bashing on Return of the Jedi, which makes no sense to me. I love Return of the Jedi. That being said, it is probably the weakest of the three, but the other two have just set the bar so high, that's why. I really enjoy Return of the Jedi. I like all the original trilogy. Well, and the thing is, too, is without Return of the Jedi, the story of all three movies doesn't have a conclusion. Because yeah. they leave us on, on the Empire Trust Strike in Empire, they leave us in such a high state of anxiety and just this. The cliffhanger is is so is. I don't think people realize how big of a deal that cliffhanger is. If you watch just like New Hope, then Empire, and just stop, like the world sucks. Like yeah. that's the, we the, take you for know, granted now that we just that. know that Darth Vader's Luke's father, but at the time, that was huge. Like, imagine you're not a comic book fan like Josh and I, or you don't keep up with news, and you go into Infinity War, and you don't know that anything's coming after that, somehow. Uh, You go into it thinking, okay, Thanos is the bad guy, the Avengers will save the day, and then that'll be it. And then the snap happens. You're just thrown into disarray. But then you can just go online and see the future of what's going to be coming there. Oh, there's other movies coming. Now, this was not the case when Empire comes back. Luke, I am your father. Oh, you have to wait three years with no internet community throwing around their fan theories. You just have to talk to your neighbors, and you have to wait three years to figure out what's going on with that. Mm-hmm. And then Return of the Jedi, minus a little bit here and there, I think it's kind of annoying that they just kind of repeat the ending from A New Hope in terms of the space battle. Return of the Jedi, I think, wraps everything up in a really nice bow, and I will defend the Ewoks as not that bad. It's, they're not that bad. Like, it could be a lot worse. They could be, um, I don't know, Gungans? Which, side note, the Gungans were actually originally in the original draft of Phantom Menace were uh, written as incredibly intelligent creatures. And for the most part, they actually seem like they are, but It's just that the trails were... mm, Yes. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, what else you got for your trilogies um, that are actually trilogies? Yeah, so keeping going with this three-act story um, kind of way of telling a story, I've got two that I think we both both have on our list, and I think I'd be surprised if if they're both not on our list. And those are How to Train Your Dragon and Lord of the Rings. 
All right, who's got the stopwatch? How long did it take before Josh talked about how to train your dragon? (laughs) Leave me alone, okay? I knew when I was making this list. (laughs) I knew when I was making this list, I was like, I need to set a stopwatch to see how long it takes before Josh talks about how to train your dragon. Uh, Okay, but how can you sit here and not be like, it's not one of the best because not only is it one of the best, it's not, it came out of nowhere. Nobody thought this this movie these movies were going to be good, and what they turned out to be fantastic. So, go away. <laughs> I have a rebuttal for that one later, but I'll let you go on your uh, How to Train Your Dragon tangent for a second there. No, I, I I think the biggest thing about this series is and it's some it's something that I think all really great trilogies do and it's why i paired it with mentioning lord of the rings is your main characters go through change throughout all three films like not and not necessarily like oh man like darth vader's my father but like actual like growing up change like in the first rings i think has some of the best character development of looking at the relationship between gimli and legolas at fellowship of the ring to Never thought I'd be fighting side by side with a du- uh, an elf. Yes. How about sti- yeah. fighting side by side with a friend? Aye. Uh, well, just and even in How to Train Your Dragon, with Hiccup is he's a child in the first one, and by the time we get to the third one, he's got a beard. He's fully grown. He's he's a, he's a man, and he understands what the world is and what it's going to take for him to to survive in it. And on the flip side. When DreamWorks really, really wants to, they can make an excellent trilogy, as I have one that's, I think, often gets overlooked in terms of really good animated trilogies, but it, I think it deserves more credit. And that's the Kung Fu Panda trilogy of, here's the Kung Fu Panda formula. Trailer comes out. Well, title comes out. Kung Fu Panda. That's a terrible name. That's going to be a dumb movie. First trailer comes out. That trailer was terrible. This movie's not going to be good at all. See the movie. That was amazing. Wow, that was a really pleasant surprise. Kung Fu Panda 2 gets announced. Really? Where are they going to go with this one? Oh, man, that trailer looks bad. Kung Fu Panda 2 comes out. That was really good. That's if yep. not, that's just as good, if not better, than the first one. Kung Fu Panda 3. Man, it's just a cash grab. They just keep turning this thing out. Wow, that was really good. If yep. Just as good, if not better, than the last one. They, they, they've done a really good job. And not only that, but having Jack Black as your lead voice. And like that, doing surprisingly well with it. Jack Black, we often kind of toss aside as the funny guy. But, but he, dude, some of the stuff he delivers in those movies is intense and heart-wrenching. I will say, actually, Kung Fu Panda has one of my favorite mentor figures in any movie trilogy and with uh, Uguay. Yes. I really like the turtle a lot, actually. Even though he's well, just your stereotypical line... old man mentor figure, I he just had this presence about him that I really enjoyed. Not to mention, the way that they shoot the action is incredibly well done and fluid for an animated movie. Oh, I agree. And I I think some of the lines lines that Uguay says, because like, he, he they give him this not just like I'm a wise master kind of mystique about him, but also like there's something that he knows that nobody else knows. And it's literally just I accept the world as it comes to me. Like that's it. Like that's all I do. <laughs> there's this exactly. and everyone. It, it, it's, it's a fantastic message from a fantastic series. 
which often gets overlooked in favors of your Toy Stories or your mm-hmm. other or How to Train Your Dragons or other animated movies. And I'm like, no, Kung Fu Panda consistently delivered. I agree. Now, I'm going to get some pushback on this. But we were talking about tacos. And for oh. some reason, that reminded me about pizza. Don't and say Ninja Turtles. It's the original trilogy of the Ninja Turtles. It's one of my favorite things to watch of all time. How can you say that when only one of them is good? One and two are real are pretty good. And third is No, two they don't weak. even use weapons. Look. <laughs> because parents complained so much about the first one, they had to glue the turtles' weapons in their holsters so parents wouldn't complain. That's why you see them fighting with uh sausages combat cold cut line yes i remember it just as well as you do uh they use the foam weapons they get stuck in a trap when leonardo has swords in his back they couldn't get beep up and rock steady but they could somehow get tokar and razor okay yes and vanilla ice however that theme song is awesome so shush (laughs) although kevin nash is in it which makes it a little better Exactly. Get out of here. See, so I mean, in the Although, third one, at least you cannot, in good consciousness, defend Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three: Lost in Time. I can't. I really can. It does not hold up. At the end, they knock the villain off a ledge, and the water. There's no water effect for when he falls in the water because of the green screen. Look. <laughs> They also, my main issue with the original Ninja Turtles trilogy, not just the fact that the third one is terrible, is it's so tonally inconsistent. (laughs) The first one is dark and edgy and really a good blend of the 80s cartoon with the original black and white comic. And then the second one's just like, oh, no, that 80s cartoon worked well for us. We'll just go solely with that. (laughs) And then the third one was like, hey, do you remember that time that the turtles got taken back into time where, and a rabbit was going to help them And Michelangelo them be gives CPR to a kid and he creates yeah. pizza in feudal Look, Japan. Dude, I just, I don't know what it is, but I, though that trilogy specifically has a special place in my heart and I always have to talk about it. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Let's go back to some quality ones. <laughs> we'll Do you want to stick on this animal trail? Um, well, you have Ninja Turtles. I have one that I will defend. Spider-Man, the original Tobey Maguire one. Boo! You just had Ninja Turtles. I will say easily <laughs> that the Spider- the three Spider-Man movies are better than the three Ninja Turtles movies. Let's okay, compare fine. them side by side. Spider-Man. No, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> Spider-Man compared to Ninja no, Turtles. No, no, that one's a little bit closer. <laughs> Spider-Man 2, one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. Against Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Where Tatsu doesn't even do anything. Where Shredder doesn't even do anything. Where they try and hide drugs in a donut. And then, the one that you think would be closer, Spider-Man 3 versus Ninja Turtles 3. I would rather watch Spider-Man 3 in a heartbeat. Spider-Man 3 is not nearly as bad as people make it out to be. Yeah, yeah, I know. 
Spider-Man 3 is my... If you have Ninja Turtles, I have Spider-Man. And also, there's only three of them, which technically yours doesn't even count because you have more movies in your no, series. No, we don't know. We The fourth one does not exist. They never made a fourth one. I refuse to acknowledge yes, it. Yes, they did. They made a fourth no. one. The next generation was Venus de Milo, the girl Ninja Turtle, which also had blue as her colors for some reason. And she had boobs. It was weird. And her uh, name was Venus de Milo because they ran out of names for artists. Yeah. You gave me flack about having Spider-Man on my list, but yet you have Ninja Turtles. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to one-up both of us. Let's Uh-oh. talk about Blade. <laughs> Which, I will say, Blade, Blade is like Spider-Man. First two are great. Third one, everyone wants to forget about. That being said, I'd much rather watch Spider-Man 3 than Blade Trinity with Triple H and Vampire I, Dogs. Uh, yeah, but the, we also get to see Ryan, Ren- Ryan, Ryan Reynolds do his Deadpool impersonation and be, as being a vampire hunter. Blade, I feel like, doesn't get the credit it deserves for being a influential comic book movie. Uh, everyone's like, Black Panther, the first com- R-rated comic book movie with a black lead. I was like, uh, um, first of all, Deadpool, you're not the first R-rated one. That would be Blade. Black Panther, also not the first one with Black Lead. That that was the point I was trying to make, but I know I got confused in there. There you go. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm tracking, I'm tracking. It's like, Blade did a lot right, guys. Just really because did. Wesley and Snipes went to prison for a little bit doesn't mean we can just discount this, this trilogy. I really need Wesley Snipes to come back, honestly. I need him to come back. Into, he keeps like, saying that I, he's going to be in the MCU as Blade, and I'm just going to want to pat him on the head and be like, sure you are, buddy. Sure you are. You know what? I could see him coming. How would you feel about Wesley Snipes as John Stewart? Too old. <sighs> Maybe I saw a uh, fan cast or, once, and I kind of would be super down for it of John Boyega as Blade. Okay, okay, I'd be down with that. Or what about Wesley Snipes as um, Martian Manhunter? Okay, that one I'll be a little bit more okay with. Yeah, I'd be down with that. I think you could pull that off. Anyway, um, what else you got on your list? Because I think I'm, I've only got one more. I have four more, actually. Jeez, dude. Well, then um, again, we had this discussion before we came on air of how Josh, even though he does research, forgets things a lot. <laughs> yeah, one too many back bumps, I think. Yeah. I'll say my all-time favorite for last, which I'm sure anybody at home can figure out what it is. Um, I'll go with a couple more that Josh and I agree with, one that we don't agree on, and then we'll go with my favorite. Um so two that Josh and I definitely agree on um, are the Planet of the Apes trilogy. Yeah, the which, new one. Yeah, the new Planet of the Apes because it's in its own timeline, so that's completely disconnected from the original. So it is a trilogy. Really like those a lot. I've been watching, rewatching those for Batman homework, more or less to kind of more familiar myself, familiarize myself with Matt Reeves' previous work. Um, they're really, really good. I think... I enjoyed the second one the most, and then um, the first one, and then War, for me personally. But all no, of them yeah, are really, really well I, done. I agree with that, yeah. No, I, I think the biggest thing is the amount of personality that he gives these these apes. Andy and Serkis how, deserved an Oscar. Well, yeah, that too. But, I mean, just the fact that an ape will come on the screen – and you can kind of already gather what he what he's about, what his emotions he's come what he's coming across with, and like you know like you you don't have to get a lot of exposition like you would a human character. I love that 
there isn't nearly as much dialogue in these movies as there are other big blockbuster movies, but you still get the emotion of the scenes. Like, I could feel the emotional weight of certain scenes just by the excellent uh, CGI work that they did on Caesar or on the other apes. Of You could tell yeah. what they're feeling or what the emotion is in the room just by the performance capture, just by the few words that they do say. I just... The work that was done in the new Apes movies, it's just phenomenal. No, I agree. And it's especially like look, taking that and looking forward to the Batman movie. I think like that, that I, first of all, I did not connect those dots mentally. Um, and that Matt Reeves is, it did the eight movies until just now. Um, so I, that makes me kind of even, even more excited for the Batman movie, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one that I know Josh and I agree on is the Oceans trilogy. Yeah. Those are just so fun. Oceans is my go-to example of remakes that are better than the original. Because no one remembers the original anymore. And now when no. people say Oceans, you think of George Clooney, Brad Pitt, who's always eating something. Matt Damon, Don Cheadle was his, with his actually surprisingly decent accent. There's a lot, and that was the thing I think about those three. The, I, in my opinion, the story is not as strong in the two and two and three, but the story is the same in all every single one. But yeah, I mean, you don't yes, go but, for the heist; you go for the character interaction. Exactly, that was going to be my point. Was the the characters are so strong? Because really, like heist movies are going to be heist movies. There's no difference in any of them, really. But the characters no. are unique enough and more entertaining enough for us to want to see it. Yes. Like, it is cool to see the little things that they do to get the heist. But the best thing, the scenes that I always remember the most are just the interactions between the characters. And they're amazing chemistry. Like the scene where uh, Brad Pitt and George Clooney are at the bar and Brad Pitt is asleep it seems like or just zoned into the tv and george clooney's having a completely one-sided conversation of just like you think we got enough you don't think we have enough you think we need another <laughs> we guy need <laughs> we need one more all right we'll get another <laughs> guy and brad pitt doesn't say a word or in but 13 when he goes into the hotel room and matt damon's watching oprah <laughs> and he's like you watching oprah and then they like both tear up he's just like they're getting a new house. It's fantastic, man. <laughs> They're great movies. Yeah. Um, now, for the one that I know we don't agree on, which just boggles my mind because you're the first person that I've ever met that doesn't like these movies, Back to the Future. Yeah. yeah. What is it about Back to the Future that you don't like? I, I, I don't know what it is, man. I <sighs> Time travel movies are tricky for me. Because my brain's always going to be moving on it. Um, I just, I don't know, man. There's something about it that I, I just am not really down. Mostly because Marty's dad is terrible. Yeah. Um, but also, to be fair, his dad was played by Crispin Glover in the first one, who was just kind of a unique individual. Well, yeah, but not just saying that, but just the kind of character he was. Like once it's revealed, you know that he he was, was in the he fell out of the tree because he was peeping. Like, how am I supposed to be behind this character now? Why? Why? Like that's he's he's kind of a kind yeah, of yeah. That's a really a good point. Person. 
Like, how am I supposed to be behind him? And Marty in general, come like while he does have his moments of being a really good guy, can be kind of a douche. But he he at least has some growth. He learns throughout the I course know. of the trilogy. I will I say, know. Back to the Future 3, no, Back to the Future as a trilogy, is one of the most cohesive trilogies in terms of it is just one long movie in terms of how it ties everything together so well of things from the third one are referenced in the first movie or things just get interwoven so well together, the likes of which I don't think I've ever really seen in a trilogy. Like Lord of the Rings, you could say it's an excellent, well-told story, which it is, and it's just one long story. But in terms of weaving in the details that would um, play in later... I think Back to the Future does it a little bit better. And I will say, you have the unpopular opinion that you're not a huge fan of Back to the Future. I actually have one. I don't think it's as radical as yours, but my favorite of the whole franchise actually is Back to the Future 2, when they go to the future. Fair enough. Because I, I like that aspect of, enjoy- one, the dystopian 2015, but also, um, I always like that element, and Harry Potter did it too, of going back in time and trying to avoid yourself. I yeah. just like that aspect of like going through time and trying um, reliving certain moments. That's why Endgame really worked for me because it felt like Back to the Future too. Fair enough. Um, you said you had one more. Oh, it was Apes. Okay, it was Apes. Now, yeah. for one that I think you're forgetting about, which is that's the story of tonight. Yes. Um, <laughs> One of my, if not my all-time favorite trilogy, and the one that's impacted me the most as a film fan. If you haven't figured it out by now, Josh, I'm very disappointed in you. Well, the Dark Knight trilogy. Which one? I'm sorry, I was talking. <laughs> the Dark Knight trilogy, man. Oh yeah, I'm dumb. Yep, that is the well, single trilogy that got me into movies. So here, here Fair it enough. is. Um, Fair enough. 2005, the uh, first one comes out, Batman Begins, which was the CPR that the Batman franchises so desperately needed after Batman and Robin in 97 or 98. I actually didn't see it in theaters. Uh, I saw it at a sleepover at a friend's house, and I was like, this is awesome. This is not the Batman I know. Uh, yeah. And then 2008 comes, and my dad takes me to see The Dark Knight. I think it was like a Saturday morning showing, actually. Um, and both of us were like, this was not what we were expecting. This was not a superhero movie. This was something else. This, for lack of a better term, it sounds like hyperbole, but this was art. This was yes. something about it clicked with me as a movie fan of, I didn't know movies could be like this. This is not good guy, bad guy, uh, good guy saves the day at the end. This is interesting and compelling storytelling. This is a crime drama. This is something the likes have never seen before. I didn't know movies could do this. I want to know more about movies. And so that immediately got me more interested in The Dark Knight Rises. Now, we both have our issues with it. Um, I think you do more than I do. I will admit there's definitely still some issues with Dark Knight Rises. That being said, there's not been a single movie except for maybe Endgame and a couple others, maybe Force Awakens. Other than maybe those, there is not a single movie that I was more excited for than The Dark Knight Rises because of how much Dark Knight impacted me. So when I finally got to see Dark Knight Rises, 
I actually have seen Dark Knight Rises in theaters more times than I saw Endgame. I saw Rises um, four or five times in theaters just because I wanted to see it again and again because it hadn't really dawned on me that it really wasn't that good. I was still on that high of, it's just in the Dark Knight trilogy. It's fantastic. Um, And I still like it. Just It's definitely the weakest of the three. But the Dark Knight trilogy... The thing is, the Dark Knight came out the same year as Iron Man. I still debate to this day which one had the bigger impact on the world and the comic book industry. Iron Man, because it sparked the MCU, or the Dark Knight, because every movie after it tried to be it. Fair enough. But as I a whole, I, it was I, just I, a I, great trilogy. Yeah, no, I would agree. I I think both Batman Begins and uh, Dark Knight set a new standard. Basically, they, Nolan was like, "Hey, we, there's a different way to tell story, you know, comic book stories other than being super campy and stuff." And it was the first time that a story like that was told outside in a comic book world that was not super campy. So it, it was done very. It, in my opinion, if we're having that discussion of which one was more, more influential, I'm going to say Dark Knight because it impacts it was more about storytelling and less about world, world building it was like hey we have a character that we're taking through a journey not hey we have a character he's going to he's going to do some stuff and then we're going to build a world with him yeah like dark knight is one of if not my all-time favorite movie but i actually think batman begins has more rewatchability of oh i agree i could watch batman begins whenever i have to be in the right mood to watch dark knight type of thing yes i agree and we won't. We I I will. I think I've ranted about rises before on the pod, but I just I don't like it. I, I just don't like it. And that's fine. I think as a movie, it's fine. But as a trilogy capper, I think that's where the disappointment kind of comes in. Yes, it tried to wrap everything up as best as it could. Yeah. But. Yeah, it kind of falls flat. That being said, compared to some other trilogy cappers we've talked about today, Spider-Man 3, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Back to the Future Part 3, it's probably the, one of the better closing chapters. I'll give you that, yeah. But then again, it also lives in the shadow of one of the greatest trilogy cappers and one of the greatest movies of all time with Return of the King. Yeah, exactly. And like, there will be no, in my opinion, there will be no better trilogy than the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. Which, um, quick side tangent, did you see that video that I put on Facebook a couple weeks ago of Aragorn at the Black Gates in Return of the King with the I Avengers game music? I did. And really, and like, like that speech at the Black Gate is what got me through a lot of college, actually. <laughs> just that movie in general is just one of the best ever. I agree. Well, what do you guys think? What are some of the greatest movie trilogies of all time? We love hearing from you guys. Let us know in the comments below. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're hearing us on, whether that's Google Podcasts, iTunes, or Spotify, or, of course, the main channel on YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.